virtual reality and avatars for learning. Hey guys, is it soup yet? It might be soup and I'm so excited. Join us today, we're gonna talk with Carrie Straub from Mersion and explore how avatars and virtual reality might be ready for prime time for corporate learning. It's the Learning Geeks podcast starting now. Hello, 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 everybody. I'm, I'm going to talk while I can. <laughs> if I sound a little crazy right now, I am actually in Portland, Oregon right now. I am uh, helping my son move out of his college house and uh, didn't realize the internet would be shut off when it was time to do this. So I'm tethered to my phone. I'm sitting in an echoey bedroom. Sorry about that. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm sitting on a rolled up comforter leaning against the wall and the power connection on my computer isn't really working. So I have to physically hold it in so that my computer doesn't run out of battery. If I make it to the end of this episode, I am going to be thrilled. You know, Bob, other than maybe the power cord issue that I've never had, however, all that other stuff to explain, I bet you about 95% of our audience has probably gone through that in the last three, four months. So right, done I'm something sure like that, yeah. I, I just want to just point out to our listening audience the great lengths that the Learning Geeks go to to bring <laughs> you this type of entertainment on a regular basis. I mean, last year at this time, right? last yeah. year at this time, I was held up in a hotel room down in Southern Utah and, we, and I did some recordings and you guys interjected those. I mean, we just, we're dedicated. And, yeah. and the last episode that, again, it came out smoothly, but... We went through three takes. I had electrician shut off power. Um, you know, it happens. That's what happens with working from home. It does. Well, we're happy to be here. We'll try to make it work as long as we can. Uh, Jake, do you want to introduce Carrie and kind of set up today's episode? Yeah. So Carrie, Carrie is here with us today. Carrie and I have met, uh, I think, a couple years ago or so. Um, and and Carrie works at Mersion, and her and I. Uh, work for a little bit really to explore what conversion do for my former company that I was uh, working for. And uh, over the time, we've kind of stayed in stayed in touch. But really, I thought it would be great for Carrie to come on, especially in the world that we live in, when so much of, let's call it practice, immersive practice, has not necessarily faded away. However, your traditional modes have faded away for those in person, um, the events where we typically have more of that safe practices, it's gone away. So I thought Carrie would be a perfect person to bring in and really share some of her expertise. She's done a ton, not just with Mersion, but really in general and thinking around this topic. So Carrie, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. It's been a while that we've been looking for a way to collaborate on something. So I'm so, so excited to be here and um, share what we're doing and just kind of be part of the discussion. So before I guess we jump in, I would love to just have the audience hear your story. So, you know, let's let's hear it. Let's hear your story. What's what's what is Carrie all about? <laughs> um, so. In relation to learning, well, well, that's all that we have time for. Um, I started out, I used to run an all-boys boarding school out in the woods. I don't know if you know that about me, Jake, but um, I started wow, an all-boys no. boarding school. <laughs> yeah. um, no. that was oh, boy, about, we better watch out because yeah, it's exactly. all-boys on the air. Okay. <laughs> I can handle you guys. But um, that was for about a decade. And as I was doing that work, I realized, like, wow, I really have a lot to learn and um, how to help these kids. Like, 
learning difficulties and um, just behavioral issues, things like that. So I went back to school at the University of Central Florida to get my doctorate in special education. And there was a woman there, um, Lisa Deeker, that was she had developed this avatar-based simulator, and it was just a prototype technology. It was so fascinating. And so I was like, what is this? So after I got my doctorate, I stayed on to do my postdoc, and we got funded from funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to do a national research study using that simulator. And from that, uh, the company Mersion formed. And then I went to the dark side to Mersion when instead of academia, now I'm working in corporate America, but I love it, love it, love it, because I get a chance to talk about simulation and avatars every day. Well, we know the dark side, maybe not in the sense of professional <laughs> learning, but dark side and light side appear uh, quite often here because of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Carrie, I opened today saying, is it soup yet? And the, the background behind this is this, is I've been fascinated by learning in virtual reality and virtual environments for years and years, you know, for, for over 20 years, we've been trying to make something work. Um, and I've spoken at a lot of conventions and a lot of conferences about our experiences. And at the end of it, I always say, is it soup yet? Right? Like, is this technology ready to really have the type of experience that we need to really help people learn and to improve over a live experience? And I always say, it's just not quite soup yet. Um, <laughs> but I feel like we're You're making me hungry to, with all this talk yeah, about the yeah, right. <laughs> but I, but I feel like we're getting to that point for a couple of reasons. Number one, by necessity, because mm-hmm. of everything going on with the virus and quarantine and all that. But number two, the, the technology is getting there and is, is more mainstream. I know I spend more hours in virtual reality, um, on my Oculus quest now, than I ever did in the past, you know, before quarantine. So um, is that how you guys are seeing it too? That like we really can have high fidelity learning experiences in these type of environments? Yeah, that I was, was a softball, wasn't it? Yeah, no, I'm like, there you you know, go, we're not there yet. We're just not there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I definitely, oh, so I'll caveat it. It depends on what the competency is that you're trying to develop. Um, and, and it depends on how the simulation is addressing that. So like for the work that we do, we're looking to help people develop their human skills, um, anything that a computer can't simulate. And so typically people have done that with role play scenarios. And so when you try to get somebody better at their EQ by putting them into a 3D environment that has no human element in it, it's that doesn't stretch doesn't a learner, yeah. right? That doesn't mm-hmm. really push you to work on your EQ. You can't learn EQ from a computer. So so I'll say, yes, there's soup in some areas, but there's some areas they're still, you know, they're still in the kitchen. And Carrie, real quick, can you just explain to the audience for those that aren't familiar with Mersion, just really briefly, what what does the technology provide in terms of virtual practice, just to for people to get a visual representation of it? Yeah, there's, there's a lot. I mean, in terms of the spectrum of fidelity, um, you know, you'll see 360 videos or somebody puts on a headset and they can see all around them and they're not interacting with the characters, but they're hearing the characters. Um, or you might see a simulation that is driven by a digital character that's operated by software. Um, and that, that called Jeremy Balenson calls that an agent. Um, Mersion is distinct from an agent or a 360 video in that we have 3D or 2D virtual environments that are driven by 
avatars. And avatars are distinct from agents in that they're digital characters, but they are operated by a live person and a mix of artificial intelligence. So it's this like hybrid model. And what what we do is we use the virtual um, virtual reality environment and avatars to create this authentic, engaging experience for people to practice difficult conversations. So like in two words, you could say conversation simulator, but um, but the fact that there's a live operator, we can really throw curveballs at the learner. And um, and I can talk later about the research around avatars and why why avatars create these like special unique environments. But that's basically what Mersion does is we give people safe practice for like difficult conversations like we practice people, they might step into a scenario where they see a microaggression happening and they have to intervene and, and be a bystander that says, wait a minute, like, let's let's stop this. And that's what we help people do, but in a safe place. So, Carrie, when you say there's a live person there as well, is, is that how is that scalable or maybe I'm missing something if you ha- oh, always have a yeah. live person there? You're, you're exactly right. I mean, that is the very first thing that people say after we tell them how it works. And um, so, so if you think about it, I mean, if you think about scale, what we're, what we're trying to do is we're trying to stretch people's um, interpersonal skills. And to get mm-hmm. better at your interpersonal skills, you have to practice with another human. Um, like I can't, if I gave you like Alexa and said, Okay, you know, <laughs> you know, you've just activated into- <laughs> Alexa's all over anybody who's I know, listening right? to that. <laughs> that actually did happen to me. I said Siri. I've stopped saying Siri now because I did it at a conference one time, and Siri started talking in the middle of my conference. I was like, what, what I'm talking about? Uh, just- sorry, I didn't mean to derail you there. But, no, uh, no, it's true. They it, that technology is not it quickly breaks down when, you know, and it doesn't understand nuance, sarcasm, all of the things that emotional intelligence relies on. And um, so, so I think that you need another human, but humans are face-to-face interactions are not scalable either. That's role plays, you know, bring everybody to the same room or bring them all onto a zoom call. You still need a person. And that person, I can only ever be a white female. Right. And, and, but what our technology does is it scales up that one-to-one interaction. You still have to have a person, but now using that technology, any, like any type of avatar driven experience, I can assume another identity and I can be up to three people at the same time in an adult setting. And we use it. um, So I would say about 80 or so universities are using this, this format immersion technology to train teachers. And so Yes, you connect to a live person, but that live person appears as five children that you can practice instruction with, for instance. And, and, and is this person that's live, are they also like wired on their, so that gestures come across and facial expressions come across or how does that, how does that, that work? That is, the, you're asking for the soup ingredient. Is that what you're asking for the ingredients of this? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, is this chicken noodle or tomato or? Yeah. Um, so it's a combination where the software has artificial intelligence in it and um, it's tracking movements and sounds coming from, we call that person a simulation specialist. And um, all of that gets, we collect data on it, but then it also um, is a video and audio signal that goes out to the learner. Mm. Um, but there, it's a combination of things. And that technology's gotten, you know, from the very early days, it's gotten a lot better and faster and, and doesn't require a lot of bandwidth. Like I'm able to, um, I've done presentations off a hotspot before where I have an avatar come in and, and do the simulation. So, Do you see that having a live person there as kind of a, a stepping stone to getting to the point where you don't need the live person because AI has become so sophisticated that it can mimic a live person? 
I think that, so obviously that, that would be the long-term goal. AI is not strong enough to stand on its own right now. It needs, it needs that support. AI is biased too, right? Like a, yeah. the, the live per, like if we took the live person out, that's one of the things that we, we think a lot about is like, if we did remove the live person, number one, like if we're trying to achieve scale in simulation, you could, if we totally remove the live person, it would become, it would be like one of these branching scenarios that you see that, um, that you guys would, all three of you would quickly guess the right answer to. And then, you know, like, okay, it's not pushing your performance. So it might be scalable, but it's not efficient or effective, right? So achieving scale is one thing, but if it doesn't, then what kind of investment have you made? If you can, oh yeah, we're going to pump it out to a thousand people. Um, but we can't do that. So what, what our software allows people to do is um, connect kind of, if you think about it, like an Uber model, where you've got a lot of people that are certified and delivering these simulations on a lot of learners, they go in and they schedule themselves and they're matched up based on availability and qualifications. And so we've made it scalable in that format. Yeah, that was my question. I just wanted to clarify that the, you call them simulation specialists. These are people who are trained and certified by you guys at Mersion to play that role. It's not another participant or learner who's playing that role. Yeah, in our model, it's that's correct because we're trying to give a standardized learning opportunity. So we want to throw the curveball at the third minute, right? Or the fifth, you know, we want to mm-hmm. we want to do certain things to to give the opportunities the learners like for the learners to have the opportunity to demonstrate those competencies. And I'm curious if you're, if it's not too much secret sauce, Carrie, as, as long as we are staying on the food um, <laughs> metaphor, um, what are the type of people that you're looking for in this? Are you looking for actors? Are you lo- looking for educators or psychologists or, you know, what type of yes. people are you looking yes, for? Yes, 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 all. I mean, we can put you in the driver's seat. Um, we can put, we usually when people start with us, we're in the driver's seat and we, um, we're kind of the chauffeur that takes them through the simulation. But at some point people say, you know what, I want to drive on my own. Um, now we found that initially starting out, typically the people that really deliver the best performance are people that have improvisational acting experience. Um, and if you've ever seen bad acting, you know why that would be right. (laughs) Because it could, like if they're portraying a character and, and it's, they're, the system is morphing their voice and things like that, but they're still, they still have to have a level of EQ to engage the learner. And so we found that people with professional acting experience are just really, really smart, really engaging, very like hard work, work ethic, and um, just a, a delight to, to have as, as co-learners or like co, I guess, co-instructors with you. I mean, it's kind of a the new industry that we're developing. We're developing um, a new venue for performers that's an educational venue. To talk a little bit about some of the challenges that people are facing currently as a result of COVID. So some of the work that I'm currently looking into is different types of modes of uh, practice, apprenticeship, modeling, uh, practice opportunities that really deteriorated over as a result of COVID, especially for people that are learning how to do this in a remote setting. So more than ever today, there's been a ton of topics out there going on um, that really requires our ability and demand for others to observe, listen, articulate, practice, especially in a safe environment, especially as we think about topics such as like racial inequality, unconscious bias, those types of things and behaviors don't change overnight and do require, you know, discussion practice and getting into these like sweaty palm moments. <laughs> so from your perspective, why is virtual practice 
immersive virtual practice more important than ever today? I think, I mean, specifically around um, unconscious bias, racial inequality, you know, the topics that you mentioned before, it's a safety issue. Um, people like they need a, a psychologically safe place where they can go in and make those mistakes that don't cause harm to their colleagues if they're in if, if they're in a, the middle of a training. And I mean, I've done it myself. I've said some really really stupid things that I wish I could take back, and it was just my bias popping out to everybody clearly in the room. And so, what what virtual environments do is they give people a chance to digest that at their own in their own private space and at their own pace. And I think um, like the, the 3D immersive experiences where people are putting on the headsets and seeing, you know, what it feels like first person perspective, um, all of those at different levels of um, authenticity give you a chance to have that visceral experience on, um, and different, some of them provide more practice opportunities than others. I mean, can you share a story of maybe a, a very emotional, powerful learning story of an example, either that you have gone through in this kind of modality or maybe somebody else that would be um, really, I guess, illustrate or explain, I guess, the benefit of, of doing virtual practice or how powerful it can be? Yeah, we have. Um, so I'll, t- I'll take I'll take right now there. There's a lot of I, mean, I would say six months ago, people would say, oh, yeah, we are, we're doing diversity and inclusion training. You know, we have um, we need some modules. That, how can you help us do these simulations? And we've started to see over the past like four weeks or so um, because because culture, you know, things are changing and people are starting to pay more attention to racial inequality and really like surfacing those things, people are coming to us and saying, we need help. We really, really need help with this because it's, these are really difficult workplace conversations. And so we created a series of scenarios and one I think is a perfect one. We do a simulation and um, we'll have, I can't say who the specific learners are, but we field tested it with a group of college students um, in a research study that was funded by the National Science Foundation. And, um, and one woman in particular, she kind of resonated with me because she was like an co- undergrad college student, white female. She got into the simulation and the simulation was a hiring committee. And um, the two avatars are discussing it. And she is, she's the third person on this hiring committee panel. And one male avatar, he starts saying microaggressions against somebody that's not in the room. He doesn't want to promote her because she's aggressive and she doesn't leave time for him to ask questions. and and um, you have to like, so she kind of lets it happen and just lets him do it. And it upsets the other avatar. He gets away with having this perspective then isn't challenged and it's not okay to have. And, and in the simulation, she got some feedback and coaching from the host avatar. She started crying, which is like, oh my gosh, that was bad. Like, what did I do upon reflection? Composed herself and then was able to go back in the, um, the second time and redo the conversation and pick up from a certain part. And, um, and that's really powerful because she didn't have to make that mistake with her colleagues. You know, she didn't have to damage a relationship. And so now she's kind of, as our CEO says, like inoculated herself to that stressful conversation. And she's able to say, wait a minute, I've been here before. You know, this is, this is what, um, this is what I can say during this time. That's really an amazing story. I think uh, that what I'm hearing as we're having this discussion is that the key to what you're, the key to what's driving the success of what you're experiencing, is around the authenticity, um, mm-hmm. right? Where a lot of uh, a, a lot of uh, immersive environments that are trying to hit the soft skills, it's hard to get that authentic feel, and it seems like by adding the human element in the avatars. 
you're getting to that authenticity. Am I sizing that up right? Oh, yeah. It, they trade scale for authenticity. And the minute that you do that with humans, it becomes like people don't want to do it again. Once they've done it one time, they go, oh, yeah, okay, I figured that out. Whereas in these simulations, it's like it's new and different every time. And so I, I totally I agree with what you're saying in terms of authenticity, because it has to, to, to your point, we were talking about brain hacks earlier before, before we got started. The way that the brain learns, as you know, is you, through practice and those myelination, that, that process of myelination optimizes your brain. And so you have to have that repeated practice. Well, if you if you got a branching scenario and you figured out the answer the first time around and you don't go back in and do it again because boring, you know, I did it already, then where's that, where is that investment really? You know, what is that getting you? So. Yeah. The other thing is that, uh, that you and I just swapped some comments earlier about um, the whole branching thing and how with a traditional simulation, branching can be a nightmare because you either have to have so many that it becomes unmanageable or you have so few that it's very predictable for the learner. Mm-hmm. And and by introducing this human element, you've in effect uh, enabled an infinite number of branches. Mm-hmm. I I used to think the human was a limitation. Like I'll just be totally upfront with you. When I, when we first started doing this, I was like the same kind of thought process. Like, well, eventually, you know, we won't need the human to do this. But w- you have to have the human element either on the front end or the back end. And the with the human element, you have developers developing this branching scenario and this intricate thing and natural language processing and all of this, you've got all of that human resource being put at it, or you can not, you can design something that's cleaner that allows for a human to adopt it and use it flexibly. And so you have the human element on the back end. Our CTO Arjun Nagendran said that to me one day and a light bulb went on and I was like, that's true. I, at some point, if you're developing human capabilities, that human connection is that that effort into it to keep the human brain engaged, it, it requires another human. Well, I keep thinking about, you know, even from our own experience with simulations and virtual, that the more high fidelity it is, the more authentic, the more realistic, that your brain actually remembers the simulation as a real event, right? Like, <laughs> That's so true. Right. And, you know, Jake and Dana, it's like, remember that time that we dressed up as stormtroopers and went onto the planet and moved so far? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. It was know, really hot there. It was really hot. Really hot. And bad, I still have know. a wound from that experience. <laughs> right. And, you, you know, in, in all sincerity, and, and I, I know I've read research around this somewhere, but I can't quote it. So I hate to say it, but just from my own experience, I do remember those very intense games as being real things that really happened. Um, and so I imagine that the fidelity of having that human interaction as opposed to the pre-canned interaction just adds to that fidelity. I, I'm wondering, Carrie, what are other aspects of the simulation that you guys find are essential to keep that level of immersion? Audio, the audio feed is actually in some ways even more important than the video yeah. feed that people are picking up. Like when you get choppy, I, I'm sure you've all experienced, you get that choppy audio. It's like, ah, just like, let's stop the call. <laughs> you know, you can, you can do, so that we've really found it's important. So um, any type of simulations that add that element of spatial sound or things, um, things like that, those are, that's really important. Um, I mean, VR, it does trick the brain. So, so Bob, I happen to have the some of the research you were talking about. It, it just happened to have it at my fingertips. Part of it was <laughs> it was an uh, internal study that we did, and the the um, 
we, we compared instructional video to interactive VR. And what we found was that on average, the interactive VR provided 12% higher accuracy and 17% uh, faster time in task completion. So that's one kind of interesting data point. The second one is um, Stanford University's Virtual Human Interaction Lab found that retention is 33% higher when immersive VR instruction is used as compared to video. Are so you going to some... link to these references? Because that would be really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, can, I can get you the Stanford one. The other one was an internal study. But yeah, I can, mm-hmm. absolutely, I can get that to you. So before we wrap it up, Carrie, I would love to talk a little bit behind the science of, you know, we talked about the science again about uh, virtual and, and learning um, and immersion. However, it'd be very interesting to understand a little bit behind why uh, avatars were used versus hearing the conversation through a real person, right? Because even behind the scenes, there is a real person, but you use avatars. And I think hearing it from you is great to hear, understand the science. And I'd love to have you uh, share to the audience why that was the choice. Yeah, I mean, we were just bringing up uh, Jeremy Balenson's lab at Stanford, and he did a really interesting study around, I mean, he makes avatars and and understanding people's behavior in virtual worlds, like his life work. But there was a study that he did, it was um, in 2006, I believe, and he looked at three different modalities of communication to see which one elicited more more basically verbal nonverbal behavior he was measuring and so he did pe- people talking by phone people on a video conference face to face but in a video like virtual face to face and then via avatars and he used really rudimentary avatars they were called emoto boxes and it was literally like a box that mapped to your facial expressions and um, he measured to see which which modality people communicated more. And they did, they communicated significantly more verbal and nonverbal behavior via the avatars than they did in the other two conditions. And he thought that that had a sense of you know, so, something to do with the uh, like privacy or anonymity that you get in a virtual space. And, and we see that with other online behavior, right? When people are behind their keyboards and willing to maybe put something that they might <laughs> that they might not write if you were face to face with something but there was something about like the um the sense of that privacy and maybe a little he didn't say this but I'm thinking in my mind a little bit of a lack of consequence because you know it's virtual you can go in and play around and try on different personas and things like that and so um so when we use digital characters instead of a role play um people well, first of all, when I say, oh, now we're going to do a role play, it's always a collective groan whenever I've facilitated type role play type of training. And it's because of the fact that, that you still have relationships with people that don't change when you start play acting. And so now you're play acting, pretending, and it's just an awkward overall feeling. The avatars provide kind of a digital veil for, for you to practice. We're, and I, I, we've centered a lot on the work that we're doing at Mersion. I, that, that is because I think we're the only company that is doing that work with avatars. And um, so there's some like research, small research projects and things, but in terms of delivering training experiences at scale using avatars, we've really doubled down and said, we want to give people safe practice spaces where they can go have those most difficult um, interactions and develop their skills. And avatars, we felt like was the better way to do it. Then we laugh about like, remember uh, I told you about agents before, remember Clippy Mm -hmm. on Microsoft word? Yeah. Yeah. 
like yes. Clippy, come on, you know, you're not helping. Like I need you to. And that that's why if we go with a digital character that's solely operated by a computer, that Clippy's just not going to get it and give us what we need. So that's why we've gone with that model with avatars. So Carrie, I have a question about the future of where this is all going, right? I mean, you're talking about some pretty interesting and revolutionary things that you, that you're involved in now. But if you were to cast the net ahead, maybe two or three or four years, where, where do you think all of this is going to be um, heading? First of all, I don't know if you guys have already had Chris Deedy from Harvard on here, um, an educational technologist. He would be a great person for your show. But Chris and I have had a lot of conversations around this. And um, really, the artificial intelligence, like your your inclination to say, like, at some point, you know, the AI is going to get stronger and stronger and um, and we can remove the human where we see the AI getting stronger and stronger initially is going to be in the analysis and predictive capabilities. So once we do the same scenario over and over and we have a very large volume with some of the customers that we work with, they have large numbers and it's the same one over and over. So we can run um, we can run algorithms on that and eventually start to predict behavior outside of the simulation back in the workforce. Um, of course, that's going to take a lot of data, but, but that's really exciting. Um, the other way that we're thinking about it is... Um, when that when you drive an avatar now, there's some controllers and things like that. But eventually, we envision that becoming you just sit down and um, it recognizes the intent using your tone of voice and facial expressions. And so the system can can um, it's more easy to drive as a result of that, like AI self driving car, right? Well, that's great. Those are excellent insights, and I look forward to a bright future in this area. Uh, well, hey, as before we wrap up, as long as we're adding things to a reading list for the show notes, um, I'm going to suggest a sci-fi novel called The Diamond Age by Neil Stevenson. H- have you read that, Carrie? Yeah, I've read the part that's relevant to us. I haven't, I admit it out loud. I'll go back and do the rest of my reading. Goodness knows I have time right now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good. Yeah, because it's, it it was the first time I ever really like got the concept of, uh, of a virtual reality immersion session like that, where you've got actors interacting kind of with the consumers and it's fascinating. Um, It's also a really good it's also just a really good sci-fi book. But anyway, um, we want to thank Carrie Straub for joining us for Immersion. Fan, it's just a fascinating topic. Uh, and I'm super excited about seeing where this is all going. So, uh, Carrie, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So, Bob, are you heating up the soup? I, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Let's go. I, I think we're, we're moving on to the salad course pretty soon here, quickly. <laughs> Uh, with virtual reality for learning. But uh, but hey, on behalf of all of us learning geeks, uh, we're super happy that you joined us today and listen for us next time on our next episode of the Learning Geeks podcast. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, all.